today I want to give you guys an opportunity, right? I've got um, two bottles of water up here, and I'm willing to share. Um, is anybody interested in a bottle of water? I'll get it ready for you. Well, I'm cracking the seal. Maybe. I'm in a, I'm in a real dilemma, y'all. As y'all notice, if you didn't know, I, I fractured my wrist, so I got this cast on. I got my real cast on this past week. And so I can't move my thumb, so I can't grab anything. I have no opposable thumb on that hand. And some of you have heard me talk about years ago dislocating my pinky on my right hand. And so I can't hold change in that hand. Like I hold change, it just falls out of my hand. It's a good thing there's a coin shortage. Um, and I'm rejoicing in that. But anyway, I can still hold dollars. But anyway, um, but and so opening things is really difficult because I can't do this. So I'm opening this drink. I'm breaking the seal. And if anybody would like it, I'd be glad to share it with you. Um, I got a couple things I want to do. Some minerals. <laughs> and some protein. Protein. <laughs> plant-based, plant-based diet is, is key. Um, for those of you that are at home, couldn't see what I was doing. I just added some uh, pebbles for minerals and some sticks and dirt for protein. And it's a plant-based diet. That's a big thing nowadays. Um, anybody want to take me up on this? Are you going to drink it? I'm hoping one of you guys will drink it. <laughs> Does anybody want to take me up? I'll, I'll even shake it up. That way it won't be all chewy at the top. Anybody want to take me up on this? Looks really good, right? Now, ha having your choice, you probably don't trust me now, but having your choice, which one would you like to choose? Right, yeah, everybody would want this one, right? Does anybody want the bottle of water? Am I really thirsty? I'm really offering. Yeah, all right. Oh yeah, touchdown. All right, so all right, so he chose the one, and see all that stuff is floating around in there. All that stuff is floating around there. I don't know if you guys can see it. Not many of us would choose if we saw what we were getting into. Would choose this bottle of water, and that's sort of what I want to talk to you about today uh, from the scripture. We've been talking about real stuff. We've been talking about parables that Jesus taught. Some of them are not necessarily traditional parables like we think of as a story, but they're. A, a simple lesson, an earthly lesson that we can wrap our mind around to help teach a spiritual point. And that's really what a parable was. And the interesting thing is when you read this passage, um, Peter himself in, in Matthew's version, and I believe uh, I'm trying to remember about it in Mark. So we're going to be in Mark, by the way, Mark chapter 7. He says, what does this parable mean? Explain this parable to us. All right, so Jesus is going along, Matthew chapter 7, excuse me. There's two parallel passages. I studied both of them, and I switched to use Mark chapter 7 at the last minute. Uh, so I forgot. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. It says, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Verse 3. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Remember that word we talked about last week? Jesus uses it in calling people this. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely, excuse me, merely human rules. 
You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. See, this is an interesting story. So the, the uh, Pharisees were watching Jesus' disciples very closely, trying to catch them in anything, hoping that because they had not been able to catch Jesus in anything, they tried to trick him, they tried to use wordplay, they tried to set him up throughout his ministry, and after this moment, and so they said, well, maybe we can sort of catch his disciples in something, and then, of course, it's guilt by association, right? I mean, we all know how, how real that is nowadays, especially. It's always been real. And so they thought, ha. Here they are, they're going and they're starting to eat and they're not washing their hands. Now, in 2020, washing your hands, everybody's like, okay, that's gross. Maybe they should have been called out, right? But that's not what this is talking about. 2020, we know all about germs. We, I talked about a story last week about Dr. Semmelweis who uh, started to realize that just washing hands with water and some sort of solution would help cut down infant deaths and mother deaths and all that sort of stuff. People haven't known that forever. They definitely didn't know about germs and microscopic organisms back then. So it wasn't about cleanliness. It was about fulfilling a tradition is what they were talking about. So what they would do, as, as uh, Mark describes there in the little parenthetical statement, he says what they would do is they would ceremonially wash their hands. Now, this was not a command from God's word specifically. As many times the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they added to it. Do you know, we've all heard about the Sabbath most likely. We've heard about the Sabbath and you're not to work on the Sabbath in the Old Covenant and all that sort of stuff. Well, they wanted to define what work was because they wanted to make sure, and it sounds really good, they wanted to define what work was so that they wouldn't work and break the Sabbath commandment. And so they said, here's what work is. And so somebody decided that you could not walk more than seven-eighths of a mile on the Sabbath or you were working. Now, who made that up? Some dude evidently probably didn't like to walk very much, most likely, you know, because he's like, cool, that's good for me. I don't, I'm, I'm obeying God by chilling on the couch. You know, I don't, I don't know what his reasoning was. But the point is, is that was not God's command. That was man's command. And I'm not, it's okay if you set guidelines for yourself. You can set guidelines for yourself. It's your choice. But when you start to put them on others and you start to tell them that if you don't follow my guidelines, then you are not a godly person or a good person or one that God loves, that's when you're getting wrong. And when you take your ideas and your teachings and your guidelines and you elevate them above Scripture, that's when you're really getting dangerous. This is what's going on here. Do you know that the uh, Pharisees' teachings, the, the extra laws, the extra rules that they had when they were talking about washing their hands, talked about using about a half of an eggshell full of water. All right? How much water can you put in half an eggshell? Not very much, right? And so what they would do is they had this big show and they would pour this little bit of water over their hands. They had a certain way that they would let the water run off their hands. I mean, they came up with all these specific things. What do you, why do you think they did all those little specific things? Because rituals look cool, don't they? You know, doing a little ritual and doing something, I mean, there is nothing. Have you ever been to the, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier at Arlington or seen it on, on the video? It's amazing, isn't it? The precision they do, it is so stinking powerful to watch that happen. Why? Because it's a tradition, it's a ritual that they do the same way every time. It's so precise, and man, that precision is just like, it just gets you, and you know why they're doing it, and it just hits you. Well, we like rituals and tradition partly for that because it looks cool. And so they would go and they pour this little bit of water. They let it run off certain ways. And they said, now I'm good. I'm clean before God. And it was this, it became a pompous thing for many people. And it wasn't about becoming clean. It was about doing this ritual that made them think that they were clean before God. 
And so they're trying to catch the disciples in that. I know that's heavy. I know it's hot for that, but I want you to hear this because it's so important. And so they call out Jesus' disciples on that. And Jesus lays down, if you were here last week, I talked about, man, that trump card, you know, from spades. He laid down the, the smackdown on them, right? What did he call them? Hypocrites. But here's the thing. They were hypocrites. This is where, you know, this word got a lot of its use from. And if anybody can call somebody a hypocrite and be right, who is it? Jesus, because Jesus knows people's hearts. He knows if people are meaning well and or whatever, but he can call people hypocrites, and he does. He says, you're play actors. You're playing like you love me, but you don't. And he gets real specific. He said, Isaiah, they liked Isaiah. He was right when he prophesied about you. you these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They did all the right actions, but they did not have it in their heart. And that is a deadly, dangerous thing. The Pharisees were honoring the commands of men more than they were honoring the commands of God. And here's what I want y'all to talk think about for a few moments this morning. We've got to avoid that trap. You may be thinking, well, you know, this is the New Testament. We're under grace and all that stuff. But we struggle with following man's traditions just as much because we like to know, even if you're not a rule follower, who would say you're kind of a rebel in here? Are y'all willing to do it? Some of y'all are like, I'm so much a rebel, I'm not going to raise my hand. He told me to raise my hand. <laughs> yeah. But some of us are rebels and some of us are rule followers. But we still like to know where the boundaries are, even if it's just so we can break them, right? I mean, we like to know where the boundaries are. We like to know where the guidelines are. And we struggle with sometimes following these guidelines. And we can do that in our faith, in our, in our walk with Jesus. And here's a few questions I want you to think about so that you can make sure that you don't fall in this trap of the Pharisees. Now, now bear with me. Listen to this. Here's the first thing. Do you struggle with reading more Christian books than you do the Bible? Do you struggle with me reading more Christian books than you do the Bible? Listen to me. I'm not saying Christian books are bad inherently. I'm not saying that at all. But if you struggle with reading Christian literature, books, even if it's fiction or nonfiction or whatever, if you struggle with reading them more than you read the Scripture, you might be heading on the path of listening to what men or people, mankind, say more than God. Because if you don't fill your mind with God's word, you're going to get yourself into a dangerous place. If you don't check those things with scripture, because when a person writes a book, it's just that. It's a person writing a book. And all people are flawed. Whether their intentions are great, all people are flawed. And they will make mistakes and they will get confused. All of us have that opportunity and that potential. So we have to check everything we read with scripture. And if we don't, it can be really dangerous to our faith. We can be walking in this relationship with God, but not listening to what he says, but instead listening to what other people say. Now, I'm going to take it a step further, and this might seem blasphemous to you, but if so, I, man, I've really done a good job today. <laughs> um, do you struggle with relying more on commentaries and Bible notes in your Bible than you do the Bible? All right? I'm a preacher. I use commentaries, but I really try my best to read Scripture and let Scripture interpret Scripture more than anything in the world. I do not, when I'm studying to teach something, I do not go to a commentary first. I do not go to, you know, if you have a study Bible, I'm not down in those here. Listen to me, okay, don't get mad. These are very tiny rocks, but they would hurt if you threw a lot of them at If you got a study Bible, they're not bad, but those things in the side, in the margins, or down at the bottom of the page, they're not written by God. You know, and, and I, I'm being sarcastic, but I'm being truthful. Don't forget that they are not invaluable. The Word of God is what's true and right and correct. Make sure that you're listening to the Word of God. If you want to understand a passage of Scripture, the best thing to do is look at other verses of Scripture that speak about the same thing. 
go to the even sometimes speak about the opposite of what it's talking about and you get kind of the two sides of the coin so you can understand scripture so study god's word those things you know study bibles and commentaries are tools they are tools but they're not the treasure the treasure is god's word and that's what you got to feast on that's what you got to spend your time and your energy on those things as we said earlier are man-made and then last but not least i cannot say this without uh, i've got to have a good conscience to say it don't just listen to preachers and teachers without checking them by the Word of God. I say that if you've been around here, you've heard this probably many times. Don't even take my word for it. Don't even take my word for it. Check what I say to Scripture and, and see what Scripture says, and that's what we want to listen to. If anybody tells you, listen to me, listen to me, don't worry about what the Bible says, run. Absolutely run. And you may say, oh, that's silly. Nobody would do that. There are a lot of people who claim to be Bible teachers who will teach something that's contrary to God's word, and they'll say, no, 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 listen to this, listen to me, do not do that, run, check what people say according to scripture, don't just take someone's word for it, I'm not saying be disrespectful necessarily, I'm just saying hold each other accountable, I'm going to hold you accountable to the word of God, and you hold me accountable to the word of God, any teacher that you listen to, here's why, this is dangerous because our own wisdom can lead us astray. Our wisdom, what we think is right, even other people's wisdom can lead us astray. These Pharisees were chastising Jesus and the disciples about, like I said, literally a half an eggshell full of water. That's what they were saying they needed to pour on their hands. And let me ask you this to kind of put it in perspective. Do we care more about the show than the spirit? Do we care more about the show than the spirit? And here's what I mean by that. I don't mean, you know, sometimes uh, in modern church, you know, they call like what we can do on Sunday mornings a show. I'm not even talking about that per se. I'm talking about the things we do on the outside. Do we care more about what we do on the outside than what's going on in the spirit, in the spirit of God working in us? Do we care more about acting the right way and saying the right things, but our hearts are far from God? Because, see, the heart has got, got to be what leads for you to have a strong relationship with Jesus, for me to have a strong relationship with Jesus. The outside should match the inside. It should not be different. You know, your heart should be one to Jesus, and the Spirit in you should be working and shaping you and forming you and, and sanctifying you, and there your actions on the outside will change. But don't go through the motions on the outside while your heart is far from God. Here's what Jesus says in verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Now, I'm going to point something out to you. Verse 16, if you're noticing in most, most translations of the Bible, it's going to have no verse 16. And you may have a little footnote. Um, I've seen a little meme going around on Facebook, especially lately, about some verses that are taken out of certain translations of the Bible. And people are getting all upset about it. And I, I can't remember exactly what the instances are there, but here's what I want you to know. There are sometimes when, when scholars found different uh, manuscripts of Scripture, there were some verses that were included in some. And this particular one, verse 23, that we're going to get to in a little bit, was actually up in verse 16 spot in, in both places. And so what they do is they find different manuscripts, ancient ones, and they go and they try to see a comparison to figure it out. So they remove verse 16 because it was questionable there, but you still get the truth in verse 23. So I just want to say that, just so for all, all disclosure. See, I'm being accountable, right? Y'all got me? Y'all walking with me? All right, verse 17. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Jesus, 
could be tough sometimes. What does he say? Are you so dull? He asked. Now, you know, that's not really, it's not as bad of a put down. You know, we were talking about roasting people. Um, that's not really a big time roast, but. All right. Moped gang. <laughs> it's not, it's not like motorcycles. It's not like a moped gang. Anyway, all right. Or very low crop dusters. I couldn't tell. Um, but the word that is used there that is translated dull in a lot of our English translations has an idea or has a meaning of wicked, ungodly, and unintelligent. So if you're wondering if Jesus is being stern here, he is absolutely being stern. He's absolutely being strong. He's saying, are you guys so wicked? Are you so ungodly that you don't understand what I'm saying? He's trying to get their attention. He's trying to say, wake up. You've been walking with me. Now, this wasn't to the crowd, right? Everybody catch that? The crowd had gone away, and it was just his close followers that should have been paying closer attention, should have been understanding the message a little bit more. He's saying, are you guys still so far off? Are you still so missing out? Look at verse 18b, the second half there. We, we kind of cut it off in the middle to talk about that. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile persons. So Jesus explains to them, he says, the food you eat doesn't make you far from God. He said, and he's making a point here. He's saying, it's going to leave your body pretty soon. Jesus is sort of making a roundabout reference to using the facilities. He is. He's saying that. He said, it's going to go in. It's going to go out. It's not going to affect you spiritually. What you need to know is this. Here's what you need to know. What comes out of you, out of your heart, out of your mouth, out of your spirit, is what can defile you. Because what you store up in your heart is what eventually is going to come out. So what do we understand? I want to ask you this. What are you filling your heart with? What are you filling your heart with? Um, Maddie's uh, grandfather, I still remember years and years ago, I heard him preach and I heard him say this, that he had four more hours in a day than the average person. And you're like, automatically, like, how in the world do you do that? He says, I don't have a television. I don't know if he's backslidden and has a TV now. Uh, he still doesn't have a TV. Um, but he says, I have four more hours in a day because he doesn't have television. So I started doing some statistics to see how that's changed. Because I heard him say that like 10, 15 years ago. Well, I got looking. It's still about an average of four hours of TV in a day. I don't know how much of that's Netflix. I don't know how much of that is streaming, blah, blah, blah. But then I also looked at how much time people are on a device. And it says that the average person is on some sort of electronic device for three hours a day. So that's seven hours. Now, let's just say for, for some of you, they're going to be sticklers. You're going to be lawyers with me. Let's just say five hours. Let's say five hours are spent watching TV on a device. What if you took one of those five hours and devoted that to reading God's word every day? How much better would your life be? You may be doing that. But I'm saying a lot of us, we struggle with it. I struggle with it. I get so busy, and I think I'm busy. I don't have any time. But then I look at all the things that I've wasted my time on. What if I took one of my hours that I use in other forms of entertainment? If you add up all the time that you look at your phone, it, it's mind-blowing. Most phones now, whether it be Android or Apple, have a way to check screen time now. 
you can go in and find in your settings and you can see how much you are on your phone. You might think because it's 30 seconds at a time that it's not much, but by the end of the day, oftentimes you'll see it's three, four, five, six, even seven hours that some people spend on their phones. So, you know, we've got to see what are we filling our lives with? How much better would your life be if you spent one hour a day in God's Word or reaching out to Christian friends or spending time with Christian friends and encouraging them? I've seen a lot of people in my life, whether I was in ministry or not, that got discouraged and disappeared from church. You guys could probably say the same thing. You know a common theme, though? It's almost 100% of the time. They stopped reading their Bible, and they withdrew from Christians. Those are what happened before they were gone. They stopped reading their Bible, and they withdrew from Christians. Almost every single one, that's what happened. It started a process like that. They withdrew from God in their Bible reading. They didn't get any scripture. Now, they may have been at church on Sunday. Understand that. They may have been in church on Sunday. Outwardly, they looked like they were doing the right thing, but they withdrew from spending time in God's Word, and then they withdrew from spending time with Christians any time other during the week. And they didn't get any kind of fellowship, any kind of connection during the week. And more than ever, we know the week is a long time now, right? Being at home in quarantine, we know a week is a long time. And to not have any contact with other believers is, is a scary thing. So more often than not, those people, they seem to know the Bible. They were still doing some Christian activities, like I said, Sunday morning or something like that. But inside, they were wasting away. And before we realized, it was too late. So that's what focusing on teaching uh, the teaching of man over the teaching of God leads to. It leads to frustration and it leads to failure. Because what happens when you withdraw from God and his word, you withdraw from brothers and sisters who can keep you accountable, is you become frustrated, 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 and you begin to fail in your spiritual life. And instead of reaching out for help, you further push people away. And normally what you end up doing, just being honest, because I've been there, I've been in that place too in my life years ago, you start blaming the Christians in your life. You start blaming the people that care about you in your life, and you push them even farther away. But you, that happens. What it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, I'm just going to sort of paraphrase it for you. You can check me on it. But Paul talks about that they have a, people who follow this false teaching of worldliness and, and being distant from the church have a form of godliness but deny its power. They have a form of godliness. They look like they've got it all together but their hearts are far from God. And so they deny the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't work on them anymore because they quench the Spirit as it talks about. So let me ask you this as I'm wrapping up. What's coming from you? What's coming from you? Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Jesus says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Other translations say it really eloquently. They say, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's going on in your insides, in your heart, so therefore what's coming out of you? You may be saying, well, I've got some issues down in my heart, but it's not going to come out. Don't worry, I guarantee it's already leaking. It's already leaking. It might come out sideways in the way you respond to your family. It might leak out sideways in the way you respond to your coworkers but it's coming out of you. And so what's in your heart is, is going to come out eventually. There's an old saying you've heard it many times, garbage in, garbage out. If you put garbage into your life and in your heart and things that are pulling you away from God, only things that are going to pull you away from God are going to come out and push other people away from God. Why does this matter, though? Just like we talked about last week, because it's not just about you and me. 
The way you impact other people is absolutely of utmost importance because you impact eternity every time you touch another human being, whether it be with your influence, your words, or your actions. You impact eternity. And you and I have that power. It's crazy and scary all in the same that we have that power. But what comes out of you is what impacts people. I you, Hopefully we all know this, that there are kids that are watching our every move, even if you don't have a kid. If you are around children at all, they are watching what you do and watching what you say from time to time. But here's the truth I want us to understand before we leave. Everybody's watching you. Everybody's watching you and seeing how you respond. And you are influencing them either positively or negatively by the way that you respond. I know that's pressure, but here that's where grace comes in. But listen to verse 7 that we read from uh, Mark again. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. People are drinking from the overflow of your life. And the question is, are they dying of thirst because there's really nothing coming out? Or are they being poisoned by the garbage that's coming out of you? Or are they thriving? People are drinking from the overflow of my life. People are drinking from the overflow of your life. The Spirit is described as living water that will just continually flow out of you. And that's what we want to flow out of us. We want to get the poison water out. We have to trust God. He's the only one that's able to do it. His grace and mercy is sufficient. But we have to humble and surrender ourselves to Him. So the question I want to ask you is what well are you drinking from? What's filling your spirit? We're going to share in our time of communion. And I want you to consider for just a few moments. What well are you drinking from? The beauty of it all is that you don't have to follow a 12-step process to get your life perfect. The grace of Jesus is enough. And that's what we remember when we take communion, when we look and we see that wafer that represents the body of Jesus, and we see that juice that represents the blood of Jesus. He paid it all. He made the unholy holy. He made the unrighteous righteous. He became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And so when you're a Christian and you take the Lord's Supper, that's what you're remembering. That's what you're celebrating is that you don't have to be good enough. You just have to be surrendered. You just have to belong to him. And his grace is enough. But what you also need to know today, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, is that you can be free. You don't have to be bound by the poison water that you've been drinking. You don't have to be bound by the poison water that may have been coming out of you. You can be free and clean. And then the Holy Spirit can take what once was dirty and nasty and filthy and make it something that gives life. And so if you've got something in your heart as well today, I'm going to be off to the side and we'd love to talk with you and pray with you. Take a few moments and remember what Jesus has done. The grace is enough. But what well are you drinking from? And then take communion when we're ready and we'll see you again.